Here's some words from a young girl. Uh, She's ensnared in the trap called lust. She writes this. I don't know who I am anymore. I've tried to stop. Uh, Really I have. I've cried and I've sobbed at night. I've prayed. I've kept journals. I've read books. I've talked to people. I love God. But I can't continue to ask for forgiveness over and over and over for the same thing. I know I need help but I don't know how to get it. The words of a young girl ensnared the trap called lust. How about Peter? He writes this, If five years ago you told me I'd cheat on my wife, I'd have laughed in your face. It all started with a cup of coffee after work, but bit by bit the attractions ate away. It was like I was possessed and I couldn't help myself. And let me tell you, the couples who I do, do marriage prep with, their past relationships, past life experiences, they do matter. Sarah was a teenager who was hooked on what they called romantic fiction except that that romantic fiction turned into more explicit and more explicit and more explicit and now she's hooked on pornography. Or the Christian man who, who struggles with same-sex attraction and they're fighting daily to fight the attraction in a world that's screaming at him just do what you want, it's okay, just be yourself. Or, or the boyfriend or, or the girlfriend who feel guilty because they've gone too far the pastor who's thrown out of church for inappropriate relationships, the church leader who's in jail for child pornography, or take Jacob. Jacob is hooked on porn. He says this, I bought the lie that what you do in private is okay, but it's destroying me. I'm never satisfied. I'm living a lie. My wife doesn't know. I spend my whole life on the edge, and I've even dabbled a bit at work. They're putting his job, his marriage, all in the line for a few minutes of so-called pleasure. Friends, whether it's the guilt of the one night stand whether it's the, the battle with masturbation, whether it's the drooling over the, the hot guy at church whether it's undressing women with your eyes, our world is full, our churches are full of heartbreaking stories men and women who are ensnared or enslaved to lust grappling with sexual desires and the discouragement, the despair the, the emptiness, the embarrassment, the frustration and if you don't see it, I do. Let's face it, lust is a huge issue. I'd go as far to say it's probably the biggest issue that most Christians struggle with. It's an issue whether we're, we're married or we're single, whether we're male or we're female. Married people struggle with lusts. Girls struggle with lust just as much as guys struggle with lust. It's just different. We're wired differently, but it's the same issue. It's called L-U-S-T, lust. And tonight we're going to look at lust from the Bible. I'm aware that for some tonight will be quite painful and quite difficult so I want to make sure that we approach the scriptures with reverence so I'm going to give you a moment now just to to ask for God to speak to you through his word and then we're going to say a prayer together that will come up on your screen let's say this prayer asking God to teach us through his scriptures tonight O Lord, Heavenly Father, in whom is the fullness of light and wisdom, enlighten our minds by your Holy Spirit. Give us grace to receive your word with reverence and humility, without which no one can understand your truth. For Christ's sake. Amen. Four questions. The first question is this. 
what is lust? What is the definition of, of lust? Let me say right up front that, that God made us as sexual beings. He gave us sexual feelings, he gave us sex drive, he gave us hormones that pump around our bodies. Just like the appetite for food is part of being human, so, so sexual desire is a good thing, it's a natural thing, it's part of God's creation. So here in Genesis chapter 1, God says, God bless them and says to them, be, be fruitful, increase in number and fill the earth. Or Genesis 2 verse 24, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Now see how the Bible describes sex. Sex is a beautiful thing. It's the, it's the very physical expression of, of the one flesh reality that already exists. It's a physical expression of the one flesh reality that already exists. It's that beautiful act where you, you give yourself wholeheartedly, selflessly, other person-centeredly. So if, you, if you've got a, song, a strong desire for sex, it's not always lust. Sex isn't the problem. Uh, as one writer called in the book, sex is not the problem, lust is. Sex is not the problem, lust is. So sex within the context of marriage, one man, one woman, a lifelong union, it's a beautiful thing. So what is the problem with lust? What is lust? Let me say up front that the word lust isn't actually found in the Bible at all. There's no Greek word for lust. The word is actually desire. Desire. And desire can be a good thing or it can be a bad thing, can't it? And so Paul in Philippians 3 says, Philippians 1, sorry, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. That's a good desire, a healthy desire. And yet, Jesus says, Matthew 25, anyone who looked at a woman desirefully or lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. See, there's that wrong desire where where it's a passion or, or a pleasure, a longing for something that is wrong. And let me just be clear, it, it, it's not the strength of the desire that makes it bad. It's the object of desire that makes it bad. See, we often think that lust is the excessive desire for something. You know, wanting something too much. But lust is actually wanting the wrong thing. C.S. Lewis says, Lust is not about desiring too much, it's about desiring too little. It's desiring too little the honour and the respect of our fellow human being. It's desiring too little the honour and respect of our holy God. So look at this passage from, from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It's God's will that you should be sanctified, set apart, you should be holy, you should avoid sexual immorality that each one of you should learn, notice and come that you should learn to control your own body in a way that's holy and honourable, not in passionate desire, like the heathen, who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or defraud his brother or take advantage of him. See, if you've got too little honour or desire for your, your brother and sister, then you will defraud them. You will defraud someone's future wife or someone's future husband by your inappropriate sexual desire. Or, or you will defraud them by promising that the benefits of marriage to someone that you're not married to. You have too little desire for them, if you want, and their holiness and their honour. And you have too little desire for God and his honour. See, at the root of lust is a problem which says that, you know, that God is not good and God's law is not right and God's holiness is not right. So Ephesians 5 says this, it's on your screen. 
but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people see God's standard is what? not even a hint nothing zero tolerance doesn't matter what culture you live in what society throws at you a little lust according to God is not okay when it comes to, to thoughts, actions God's standard is not even a hint and I think that's the definition of lust John Piper's got a pretty good one it's up on your screen he says this lust is sexual desire minus holiness and honour sexual desire without holiness and without honour it's taking a natural desire called sex and removing the honour towards your brother and sister and the honour towards God and just doing what you want to do and when you want to do it or Joshua Harris in his book says this lust is craving sexually what God has forbidden to lust is to want what you don't have and weren't meant to have it goes beyond attraction and beyond appreciation of beauty or a healthy desire for sex it goes beyond God's guidelines to find satisfaction it goes outside of God's clear and wise guideline it, it's, it's coveting the forbidden you know, using our eyes, our hearts, our imaginations to get what we want and utterly, ultimately it's selfish it's saying me, my desires, my thoughts, my satisfaction let me be clear to, to, it's not lust to be attracted towards somebody it becomes lust when you start to undress them with your eyes it's not lust to notice that someone is good looking it becomes lust when you flirt with them or you touch inappropriately it's not lust to have a strong desire for sex it becomes lust when you act on it in the wrong context or you dwell on it and out of bounds way it's not lust to anticipate sex within marriage it becomes lust when you're not patient and you dabble with it or you fantasise about it it's not lust to experience sexual temptations it becomes lust when you act on them and you feed them and you dwell on them see lust is sexual desire without or minus holiness and honour and what are the consequences our second point what are the consequences of lust let's look at the, the David and Bathsheba story let me warn you it's not uh, attractive David is God's hero he's God's king he's God's warrior he's a man after God's heart but as we're painfully aware even great leaders can fall and no one could, should say I, I'm beyond this it would never happen to me here it is here's the story let me read it in the spring at the time when kings go off to war David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged uh, Rabbah but David remained in Jerusalem one evening David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of his palace from the roof he saw a woman bathing the woman was very beautiful and David sent someone to find out about her the man said isn't she Bathsheba the daughter of Iliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite and David sent messengers to get her she came to him and he slept with her see how David made choices he chose to stay in the comfort of his palace rather than going to the battlefield and one spring evening he, he walked on the rooftop and he spotted a beautiful woman again there's nothing wrong with finding her attractive but the response matters doesn't it so back in Genesis 39 remember that Potiphar's wife was chasing after Joseph but Joseph fled but David didn't flee David succumbed and David said I want her I'm going to have her I must have her 
funny, God is very gracious. God often gives us opportunities to, to, to stop or to repent. You know, you're in the grips of lust and you meet somebody who you know and you're thinking, oh, get out of my way, I want to continue with this. And you know, so, so the man comes to David and says, look, look at the word he says, she, she's the wife of Uriah. He says she's a married woman. But David wants her. Lust got hold of him. He has to have her. And so verse 4, look at the word, it's very graphic. She came and he slept with her. No emotions, no care, no hint of love, it's just sex. The animal act. And of course that sin has consequence, lust has consequence. In David's case it was a slippery slope to lies, deception and even murder, spiraling downwards and downwards and downwards. And friends, that's always a case with lust. The devil is very crafty. He doesn't take you to the depth of the pit straight away. He just takes you one step at a time, one step at a time, until one day you wake up and you're out of control. The consequences of lust are this. It, it damages yourself, it damages other people, and it damages God. So ourselves, you know, we're, we're, we're racked with, with guilt and, and shame. And, you know, we resolve never to do it again, but then we slip up again and we feel so guilty and we think, how can I approach God? Or you're thinking, if only my, my brother knew or my sister knew what I was really like. And, and lust is habitual, it entices us. One Christian described it as like being in prison. Lust is like being in prison, serving a sentence with no parole date. It's an appetite that's never satisfied. I don't know whether you're a thrill seeker. It's a bit like a thrill seeker, isn't it? You, you go for the thrill and once you've done that thing, well that thrill never satisfies you anymore so you go for something, for something even more so you're skiing, you've done the red slopes so you, you want the black slope, you want the double diamond black slopes or, or you've, you've done the parachute jump and now you want the thrill of the, of the free fall same with lust you're never satisfied, you can't fantasise about enough people and you can't get enough pornography one person said crossing that line, once you've done it it's hard to go back never slip into thinking that you can control lust lust wants to control you lust at least that guilt at least that shame it's habitual it's enticing it damages you but it damages other people as well it's that one Thessalonians 4 again no one should wrong his brother or sister don't defraud another man or another woman of what is rightfully theirs but more than that it damages God in 2 Samuel 11 this whole chapter on David, the sordid detail, the downward spiral, there's no mention of God until the last eight words. And it says this, The thing David did displeased the Lord. The thing David had done displeased the Lord. God hated it. And so you see in David's relationship with God, it shattered. There's like this wall, this barrier that he can't get over until he comes to his sense and says, I have sinned against the Lord. Or Psalm 51 you know it well, against you, you only have I sinned. See, that's the reality of lust. We hurt other people, we hurt ourselves, but ultimately we hurt God. And if you've ever been caught up in that spiral called lust, you'll know the feeling. You know, you've sinned again for the millionth time and you're thinking, how can I approach God again? How can I approach Jesus again? How can I ask for forgiveness again and again and again? How you've grasped that? Sin is deceptive. Lust is deceptive. Lust is like this voice in the world that's crying out, go on, go on, it will make you feel good and you're missing out, it offers so much pleasure. Let me tell you, it brings misery. 
the misery of destroyed marriages and the misery of trapped people and the misery of people distant from God James 1 says this it's on the screen when tempted no one should say God is tempting me for God cannot be tempted by evil nor did he tempt anyone but each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he's dragged away and enticed or enslaved after desire is conceived it gives birth to sin and sin when it's full grown gives birth to death you see you entice, you're snared that deception is conceived and then you sin and then it leads to death or as one writer put it better than I can put it if perverted by sin sex can hold us captive and turns quickly to obsession it demeans human beings reduces them to things to be used abused and discarded held in its bondage otherwise reasonable men and women will lie to themselves and lie to others they'll turn their hearts and their minds away from God they'll leave their marriages they'll leave the children they love and they choose to live in tension guilt and shame all for the promise of tasting again the brief pulsing current of its seductive pleasure that's the consequence of lust it's enticing it's enticing so thirdly how do you combat lust let me start by telling you how not to do it how not to combat lust a classic way isn't it is to you create lists and you create rules and you create regulations and you subject yourself to these rigid rules you know I will not switch on the TV and I will not have the internet I will not look at the guys at church I will not meet a woman one on one those kind of rules, rules, rules and they can be helpful but rules by themselves it's just false religion it's just legalism because it's just rules we're really saying I can do this it's my strength my ability my willpower I can conquer this I'll feel good about myself when I've conquered it see the point is about me me saving myself and your behaviour might change but, but your heart won't change fighting lust through rules it never works if you just go through the rules you end up either with people who are disillusioned because yet again they failed to keep the rules or you end up with people who are proud and arrogant and puffed up because hey they've conquered it and they're pious rules don't work but Christ works rules don't work but the Lord Jesus Christ does work the way to combat lust is in the word Christ belief in Christ, a deep love for Christ you see your obedience can never earn forgiveness but Christ won that forgiveness for you on the cross and your tears of sorrow over, over your lust they can never cover your lust but Christ covered it on the cross and those rules can never change your heart but, but Christ changed your heart by his spirit and we need forgiveness when we messed up for the millionth time you need rescuing from that prison cell called lust and Christ is the answer here it is Romans 13 clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature he's saying put on Christ adorn yourself with the Lord Jesus come to Christ accept his forgiveness more than that is dwell in him clothe yourself think more about his beauty and his majesty and his power and his might think more about his holiness think more about his promises think more about what it means for him to be your Lord and your Saviour and your King and your Redeemer clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and then do not think about how to gratify desires in your sinful nature have you got it? 
See, I think our mindset goes, I'm not going to think about my, my sinful nature, I'm not going to gratify my sinful nature, and then I'll come to Christ. And Paul says, no, no, it's the other way around. Clothe yourself in Christ, dwell in Christ, think about the cross, think about the gospel, and then you won't gratify your sinful nature. It's what Paul said in Romans 7, you know, what I want to do, I, I, I don't do, what I don't want to do, I do, but thanks be to God. How does God enable us to fight by dwelling more on Christ? It's like any relationship, isn't it? You know, the more you love someone, the more you respect that person, the more you care about them with every inch of your being, then the more you'll try not to hurt them or harm them. And the greatest deterrent for lust is not the negative, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. It's love Jesus more, love Jesus more, love Jesus more. Let me say, after years of ministry, that correlation is pretty simple. When I see people digging deeper into Christ, loving Christ more, grasping grace, being sure of unconditional love, it's like they're liberated. It's like they're liberated and they want to obey and they, they long for a life that glorifies God. And my fear is, this, is, that, is that we're at a church that we understand the cross and we talk about how at the cross God's wrath was poured out on Jesus so that we can be forgiven. And we can verbalise, you know, I'm redeemed, I'm right with God, it's a not guilty verdict. But we haven't grasped, we haven't grasped actually that there's delight in God and there's joy in knowing Jesus. The delight in Jesus now and that pure desire for the, for the God-centred life now. Because Jesus didn't just save us from sin. Jesus saved us for love and for peace and for joy. Do you know what I'm trying to say? That once you dig deeper into Jesus, then you're free to enjoy God and to glorify God with your whole life. That is the greatest motive, motivation if you want, to fight against lust. Rules won't work. Systems don't work. Willpower won't work. But Christ works. Your despair, your pride won't work, but the motion of grace will work. You've probably heard people say, you know, keep in step with the Spirit. You know, keep a step with If you're like me, you hear that as, as, as another rule. I, I must do this and I must do this. And if I do this, then I'll be free from my sin. But Galatians 6 says this. It says, live by the Spirit and then you'll say no to sin. Live the God's way. Live according to Jesus and then you will say no to sin. See what I'm saying? Love Jesus more and then you'll sort out your lust. The Christ-centered Christian, they're the fighters, they're the victors. John Stott says, some Christians sow to the flesh every day and they wonder why they don't reap holiness. They sow to the flesh every day and they wonder why they don't reap holiness. And I'm saying, friends, walk this narrow path through life and it's called Christ and it's called grace and it's called liberating and it's called freedom. But as you walk that narrow path, there's, there's a steep path on one side called legalism you know, I mustn't do this and I mustn't do this and I mustn't log on and I mustn't look lustfully and I mustn't masturbate. And on the other side it's called indulgence. You know, go on, live a little, live a little, it won't matter, have fun. And to walk this little path called grace, called Christ, called the cross, that's where your liberation comes from. That's where your joy comes from. Your reward, your pleasure, so deep, so real, as you know Christ better and you dwell in him. John Piper says, better than I can say it, he says this, we must fight fire with fire. Fight fire with fire. The fire of lust's pleasures must be fought with the fire of God's pleasures. If we try and fight the fire of lust with prohibitions and threats alone, even with the terrible warnings of Jesus, we'll fail. 
we must fight it with the massive promise of superior happiness and that happiness is in Christ or the hymn writer says it when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin because the sinless saviour died my sinful soul is counted free I'm liberated for God the just was satisfied to look on him and pardon me how do you find it? in one word it's Christ clothing yourself with Christ Romans 13 verse 14 number four as I finish practical steps to fight against lust how practically are we going to help each other fight six quick things firstly be aware know your triggers there's no one size fits all we're all different be be aware work out precisely where you're most prone to lust where your weak points are you know it might be a time of day it's worse at night or worse in the morning or when you're tired or the weekend or the day off work it out or location a particular place like a shop or a club or a bar or a bookshop or a beach or even church work out what the trigger is maybe it's a magazine that you read you know we we lap up the, the, the celebrity gossip it's all about their sex lives and, and it's feeding our temptations maybe it's a business trip that you go on where you know that you're going to be alone no one knows you're in this city maybe it's a season in your marriage you know you've just had kids or the kids are young and you're tired and communication is bad or maybe like thousands of people the trigger is the internet that's the main battleground for many you know you get whatever you want whenever you want it into your own home maybe you're flirting online know your triggers write them down they always look worse on paper uh, a good test is a trigger is this if when you are going somewhere you, 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 in your mind you think I hope no open church sees me right now I hope no open church sees me right now that, that, that's an indication that's a trigger for you be aware secondly get radical it's not enough just to be aware get rid of it take radical action we live in an age of, of allergies don't we you know, everyone seems to have some allergy some food allergy and mine's garlic by the way um, please don't feed me garlic um, but you know, if you've got an allergy if you know that you're going to feel tired or your skin's going to come in blotches or whatever you've got a migraine what do you do? you cut it out you cut it out completely you get rid of it same with lust get rid of it it's a radical suggestion of Jesus in Matthew 28 he says this if your right eye causes you to sin gouge it out and throw it away it's better to to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown to hell or Ephesians 5 not even a hint not even a hint he says get radical just think about it it's not just don't switch on the TV it's get rid of the TV if that's a problem it's not just to put a filter on your internet it's get rid of the internet if that's a problem it's not just uh, pray for me as I go to the beach it's avoid that beach if that's a problem for you some is what I call stare at the pavement season you know stare at the pavement don't look if that's a problem for you if you turn on by touch then, then don't hug the blokes at church have nothing to do with it don't dabble with it number three form appropriate relationships form appropriate relationships so for the guys you know think about the way that you interact with women do you flirt with them does your clothing does your body language does your touch make it really hard for your sisters here at church you cause them to lust by the way you treat them for the girls again 
Think about the way that you interact with the blokes. Your touch. Are you flirting? Now please listen very carefully to what I'm not saying, what I am saying. There's nothing wrong with dressing attractively. There's nothing wrong with dressing attractively. There's a difference between dressing attractively and dressing to attract. The difference between dressing attractively and dressing to attract. For the dating couples, don't dabble with lust. Act appropriately, know your boundaries, and please, if you're dating, act appropriately in front of other people. You could cause people lust by the way that you're acting inappropriately in a large gathering. The married couple act appropriately, have lots of sex, it's good for you. Paul says, don't deprive each other. So, form appropriate relationships, form accountable relationships. Please seek help. Please confess to another Christian. In God's kindness, we're in a church, aren't we? We're in a church with brothers and sisters who, who long to help you. And they long to encourage you and to teach you and to correct you and to rebuke you and to care for you. And that accountable relationship is where one person is given permission to challenge and to support. And that's invaluable. But let me warn you, it will mean getting specific. It's one guy who, who struggled with uh, same-sex attraction. Been in churches for years and years and years. And you know, he'd been in Bible studies, he'd been in one-to-one, and he kept talking about pray for my battle with lust. And he was too fearful, too afraid to actually admit to another bloke what the real problem was. For fear of rejection, for fear of humiliation. And when he did that, when he did that, it, it, it benefited him, he was liberated. Because people could care for him and help him in a more specific way. And you know, for me, having mates, I can pick up the phone and say, I'm going to this place tonight, I know it's going to be hard, can you pray for me? Form accountable relationships. Number five, memorise scripture. Memorise scripture. We've been given the sword of the Spirit, it's called the Bible. And if you train yourself to, to know scripture and to recall scripture, then you'll fight against lust. In his excellent book, uh, it's called Sex is Not the Problem, Lust is by Joshua Harris. He goes through a whole list of lies and how to deal with the scripture. Let me just go through a few of them on your screen. The lie is lust is no big deal. What Job 31 says. The truth is that lust is a shameful sin. It's a devastating fire that destroys to hell. It could wipe out everything I own. Or the lie that the world feeds us is this. A little sinful fantasizing won't hurt me. And Galatians says, no, don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The lie of the world is this. Uh, taking radical action isn't necessary. But Matthew 5 says, if you're right, I call you sin, gouge it out. Get rid of it. The world says a lie, God won't mind a little compromise. And the Bible says, but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual morality. The world lies and says, I can't control my sex drive. And the truth of the Bible is this. It's God's desire, God's will, you should be sanctified. You should avoid sexual immorality. You should, you should learn to control it. It's hard work, but learn to control it. The lie of the world is this. Looking at a few pornographic pictures won't affect me. And the truth of the Bible is this. Proverbs 6. Don't lust in your heart after her beauty or let her captivate you with her eyes. For the prostitute reduces you to a loaf of bread and the adulteress preys upon your very life. Can a man scoop far into his lap without his clothes being burnt? The lie of the world is this, I won't experience any consequence for my indulging. And James 1 says, no, no, it gives birth to death. 
And lastly, I think this is the biggest lie, the last lie is this. The pleasure lust promises is better and more real than God's presence. It's all in the here and now. I can taste it, I can touch it in the here and now. It's more real, it offers more pleasure than God. And Psalm says this. You've made known to me the path of life. You'll fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasure at your right hand. The joy of knowing Christ, the joy of being forgiven, that is the greatest deterrent to lust. And lastly, the last practical step is this. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. I know that lust is an issue and if you're like me, I don't want you to lead to my feeling of failure. Because you fail and I fail and we will keep on failing until the day we reach heaven. But the wonder of the gospel is this. That Christ is our comfort and Christ is our redeemer and Christ is our assurance. He's our friend in Christ we have mercy. So please learn to fix your eyes on Christ. Hebrews 12. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of God. Consider Jesus, who endures such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and you will not lose heart. Brothers and sisters, don't, don't lose heart, don't grow weary. Keep your eyes fixed on Christ in whom there is complete forgiveness, there's comfort and there's everything you need to keep on fighting until he takes you to glory.